You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We're broadcasting to you here on Memorial Day. Uh, We're excited to be able to talk a little bit more Cardinals content as well. Uh, I am over here with my co-host, the Venerable John Venerable, talking Arizona Cardinals football, as we said. My name is Blake Murphy, at Blake Murphy 7 And uh, before we get any further, John, how are you doing amidst the rest of COVID and the Memorial Day week? Doing well. Good to catch up with everybody. Feels like we've been off for a little while, uh, and it's good to be back out of here talking talking Cardinal football. We're, we're hanging in here, here in the the pack northwest uh slowly things are starting to open up it feels like you know with summer rolling around we've got a little bit more semblance of of normalcy within our lives and you start to hear about some positive momentum with regard to the upstart of major league baseball and to a lesser extent the nba we've got a little bit of pga going on so Hopefully that means all good things for uh, the NFL and college football this fall, Blake. And, uh, let's get started, at least, uh, as we usually do. We'll talk a little bit about, with Kyler Murray, there's been a lot of talk over the last couple of days. Some of it, I think, obviously, John, is once we reached the point where the draft was over, the schedule was out, people started looking at some of the storylines for the season. Kyler is obviously a major one of them. We got some updated MVP odds as well, and currently Kyler is ranked fifth in the NFL for MVP odds, talking about 16-1, to 1, tied with Tom Brady, which he had a very similar season to Tom Brady last year, which is interesting. He trails right now uh, the Chiefs' Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, as well as the Cowboys' Dak Prescott, and then behind him at 20-1 to 1 odds, you have Drew Brees. What's interesting, at least, is all those quarterbacks, and I think Russell Wilson is the one who's uh, ranked fourth, all of these quarterbacks so far, outside of Russell Wilson at least, have either been up in the running for the award or have previously won the award, with the exception of uh, Dak Prescott. A lot of people are looking at Kyler Murray to make that jump. I know there is a Skip Bayless conversation with this week where he was essentially picking Kyler to win the award outright. Uh, There's also a lot of news we got to see, at least a fun little shared post, John, I think you got to tweet about where it was shown, at least for some of the workout material that teams are starting to get to. Um, Some of the virtual walkthroughs are at least keeping up. Uh, Kyler was essentially taking an extra step and cleaning up the gym area after uh, the 5.30 a.m. workout, which I think was at least a definite sign of his character. What do you think as far as the expectations that people are uh, starting to have some rumblings about for Arizona? Is this something we can be expecting as far as a uh, magical type of year for the second-year quarterback following in the footsteps of maybe a Russ, a Pat, or a Lamar? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, I've been pretty consistent with my take that I think Kyler Murray's going to have a fantastic a follow-up to his rookie campaign uh, I don't think he's going to win MVP because I just I feel like the supporting cast around him still is not um, competent enough or competitive enough I should say to help elevate him and as much as it's in, an individual award it's also a team award uh, and we've saw that each of the last two seasons I, I don't think many people would argue the fact that Baltimore and Kansas City the um, the individual's 
uh, on those respected teams that have won the MVP. Those are two of the most loaded rosters in all football. Baltimore might have the best uh, surrounding Lamar Jackson, both offensively and defensively. Of course, Patrick Mahomes inherited uh, a a playoff uh, caliber roster. They went to the postseason with Alex Smith uh, multiple years running, and he got to sit for a year and and come in, uh, not to diminish what those two individuals did, but what Kyler Murray is going to be asked to do is take a roster after a year that they had the first overall pick, winning five games, making them competitive. I think it's a lot to ask, but I will say this. You know, we we talk about the um, the praise uh, by Skip Bayless, who's been less, uh, one of Kyler's biggest fans, mostly because he he comes from Bayless's alma mater in Oklahoma, and Bayless also loved Baker Mayfield, but has been on the record saying he believes Kyler has a much higher ceiling. I think we do too. Um, and so you got to take some of what Skip says with a grain of salt. I will say somebody whose opinion I, I respect a little bit more, Bucky Brooks, an NFL analyst for NFL.com, former league scout, uh, I think with the Seahawks, very well-respected uh, columnist and, and media personality with credentials within the NFL, has picked Kyler Murray to win league MVP. Um, that's the first real legitimate name that I've heard pick him outright to win MVP. You mentioned he's I think fifth in the running, tied for fifth with Tom Brady, which is remarkable given the the amount of weaponry Brady has, the coaching staff, so on and so forth. So I, I think it just speaks to the respect that people have, the talent. It speaks to the talent they believe Kyler Murray is going to continue to ascend within this league. But you know, I think we, we need to caution our optimism just a little bit um, for every Carson Wentz or Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson that takes that year two jump. We've seen rookie quarterbacks have really strong rookie campaigns win rookie of the year or uh, come close, top three in voting, and then flame out for for reasons unknown. Uh, I think back to Marcus Mariota had a really nice rookie season. Um, It was a combination of personnel, coaching. Maybe he didn't have as, as high a ceiling as people thought. Never was able to recapture a lot of that momentum he had early in his in his NFL career. Somebody like Sam Bradford, who won Rookie of the Year, and that was a long time ago in 2008, but saw his game just plateau. I, I think, of course, Kyler Murray is a better talent than both those individuals and certainly much more of an athlete with the quarterback in his hand, um, or excuse me, with the football in his hand. But I just think, like Mariota, who was picked second overall, like Bradford, who was picked first, when you're a young quarterback and you go to these rebuilding franchises, it takes time. The one comparison I think is probably the most fair is Cam Newton. Cam Newton spent two years rebuilding in Carolina. They had a, um, I believe it was a five or six win season his first year. And then I think they only won maybe seven games his following year. It took two seasons, 2012 and 2013, for them to get their roster right. They brought in some good pieces. Keekley was brought in over that time. And then you saw in 2014, 2015, that team exploded and was ultra productive, ending the Cardinal season in the playoffs in both 2014 and 2015. So I just I think we need to pump the brakes and I think we need to look at this less like can or less like Lamar and Patrick and more like Cam, whereas that Carolina team was picking first again for for a reason much like Arizona. Now, I do think Arizona's offense is in a much better place. Um, I I think that their division is very, very difficult, but I think they're going to benefit from a fourth-place schedule. I think they're going to benefit from playing the AFC and the NFC East. So 
it begs the question, Blake, could Kyler Murray put up MVP stats when a wild card berth at, let's say, 9-7, and 10-6 and six, and get the MVP? I think that would be difficult. I think that generally, if you're going to secure an MVP, you have to be sporting a top one to two seed in the postseason because, of course, it's a regular season award. It's not put into account what you do um, past January, or excuse me, yeah, past January 1st. And now that we see that the second um, playoff team in terms of the ranking, the second seed no longer gets that by, how much stock are voters going to put into the quarterbacks, unfair or not, of those teams that secure the number one seed? So I, I just think that we're maybe a little bit a year too early. Uh, everybody talked up Deshaun Watson, rightfully so, entering his second season. He had a very modest second season, but took his team to the postseason, I believe, through something like 26 touchdowns. I think that, maybe in a combination of what Cam did, are more realistic. Um, Mahomes throwing 50 touchdowns, Lamar accounting for over 40 touchdowns. I mean, those are monumental jumps in production that are just elevated by coaching and personnel. The only change the Cardinals made to their offense, Blake, was adding DeAndre Hopkins. And I say only because that's a huge addition. But there's still questions on the offensive line. We have questions in the receiving core outside of Larry Fitzgerald. Can Christian Kirk stay healthy? What do we have from the rookie class of receivers from a year ago? What can we expect from Kenyon Drake for 16 games? And then, of course, the biggest question going into this season is, what will the defense look like following a facelift from 31, 30 rank, uh, ranks statistically uh, from a year ago. So a lot to be excited about. But goodness, from going 5-10-1 and one, and having just these huge expectations placed on you, I don't think it'll be too much for Kyler, but I, I don't think his numbers alone will be able to elevate him past the teams that are racking up 12, 13, 14 wins. But a lot of times, like you said, with Carson Wentz season, uh, we even got to see that where even though Patrick Mahomes wasn't the number one seed, uh, I believe at least in that they had, I think, the one game that they had lost where the Patriots had the home field advantage. Uh, you at least for sure need to start by winning your division. And that's where I think a lot of people are at least more skeptical about the Cardinals making that large of a leap, especially considering the fact that uh, despite the additions that they had on uh, keeping most of their offense the same, maybe you add DeAndre Hopkins, Josh Jones, get some of your rookie wide receivers last year, uh, a little bit more in place. Uh, most of the additions are made on the defensive side at the 31st defensively ranked unit. That's where I think it's going to be most difficult is if the Cardinals go out there and have an 11-5 and season and Kyler is carrying the team, even if the defense is average. You're probably not going to end up seeing an MVP type odds if Tom Brady and the Bucks go out and have a 13-3 and type of season. That's really just the way it is, is unfortunately the MVP award usually goes to uh, the best player on the best team versus sometimes going to the player who's most valuable to said team. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, I think, with the explosion. There's a lot, I think, of hype that is building up. Uh, the question, I think, John, is what would be the ultimate reason for why there would be a little bit shortcoming of some expectations, I think, is the biggest question. Uh, at least pertaining to Kyler, the the biggest one that stood out, obviously, you have is what Kurt Warner and uh, Carson Palmer said over this week on Arizona Sports. Uh, they talked about the one flaw they noticed on tape, which uh, they boiled down to Kyler essentially uh, missing a couple of easy plays or layups, uh, maybe trying to do a little bit too much or trying to force a play. Uh, you'd Sometimes they would talk about how he would just kind of hold on to the ball or scramble looking for a big play versus just reading the coverage. 
and throwing a quick nine-yard curl route on second down, getting yourself into uh, you know, a third and short type of situation. The question, of course, is how much of that is going to be just quarterback limitations? Because every quarterback obviously has uh, some sort of limit that they're going to, uh, some ceiling that they will hit uh, versus, you know, just it being chalked up to a rookie having to play very quickly and learning the game. Uh, There's obviously a couple of deep throws that were missed, some other wide open throws. John, do you think that some of the concerns that were voiced, uh, we'll get this and then we'll move on. Were those more of a long-term indicative, do you think, of Kyler? Or is it a case like, where we start worrying if we still see the same things after year two? Or is this going to be more of just a rookie step that we think we're going to see a lot of progress in this second year from? Yeah, I think it's just unrealistic expectations that we've come to expect in the NFL now. I remember when rookie quarterbacks were just expected to complete roughly 60 percent 55 to 60 percent could they have their touchdowns and inter- interceptions roughly even now with the really unrealistic expectations that young quarterbacks have set in years prior um you know baker mayfield for all of his faults had a really nice rookie campaign two years ago um we see these guys come in and produce right away because i think it's never been easier to translate the likes of college football and it's prolific offenses to the NFL and that's a good thing because it's made more teams relevant and productive at the quarterback position but I think it's kind of a a little bit of a double-edged sword in the sense that now we're kind of forced into having these rookie quarterbacks come in and fill these unrealistic expectations and I goodness I remember the first game Kyler Murray played against Detroit and he had a bunch of passes batted down and people were ready to write him off and it's just like can he play a half can he play three quarters and see if he can adjust and he was Really, really solid, of course, in that fourth quarter the following week against Baltimore. I mean, he made significant strides. The, 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 one of the biggest, I think, um, periods of um, understanding and awareness he had, and they, this has been said by team officials, and, and so this isn't news, but just the fact that once he realized he couldn't take off and turn up field around, you know, 280-pound def- defensive ends who can run 4'6", four, 4'7", um, that can track him down and have length and they're, you know, they're six, five. And once he ideally found that he could not outrun those individuals and, you know, take the underneath throw or maybe even throw the ball away or take the easy completion. Once that started to happen, I think Kyler really found a groove with this offense. And I think it kind of coincided with once they understood their limitations offensively, we saw this team take dramatic improvements um, with regard to focusing more of an effort on the RPO, the running game, run pass option. They're limited, or they were at receiver a year ago, and so they played to their strengths. They felt like they had two guards who could pull effectively, and then they had a capable trio of running backs. And so I, I just think that as the year went on, outside of when he got banged up toward the end of the year, which, I mean, he was a rookie taking a league high how many sacks for a team that was rebuilding you know, for him to miss a couple series against L.A. and and Seattle, you know, you can't fault him for that. I think he looked great the second time he played, um, obviously, Seattle. The second time he played San Francisco, he looked better than the first time Then he played L.A. So he improved over the course of, you know, a 16-game season. I thought if you broke it up into force, they were playing their best football at the end of the year, looked much closer to a 500 team at the end of the year. And that was a testament to Murray, the Cleveland game. He was super efficient. So I just, I think realistically, Blake coming into this season, I think you could expect 
up to 68 to 70 completion. I think you can expect, and not to get into a stat prediction here in the month of May for Kyler Murray, I think total touchdowns should be around 30. Passing yards right around 4,000 and rushing yards probably pretty consistent between 500 and 600. So at the end of the day, just super productive for a team I think that's going to be um, on the fringe of a playoff berth. Going to rely on seeing at least another player who's able to step up where you don't want to see essentially a drop off or a worsening of talent. If, if you end up seeing, say, a, let's say that, for example, some player on the offensive line gets hurt and suddenly it seems like your offense is broken, uh, not only is that going to fall on the GM, it's also going to end up falling onto Cliff Kingsbury to have to make adjustments uh, similar to how they did last year. Uh, like we've talked about, trusting the health of your offensive line to be consistent is going to be a bit tricky. So you're going to hope that you don't have you know, a fall off from moving from Shipley to Mason Cole. You're going to hope that your starter at right tackle is either going to be improved from what Justin Murray had last year, whether that's Justin Murray himself or Marcus Gilbert, uh, or even if you end up seeing a player uh, like Josh Jones in there. Uh, the biggest key, obviously, is going to be uh, who's going to be the guy after DeAndre Hopkins. For years, we've talked about uh, finding a guy besides Larry Fitzgerald who can step up. We know at least who Fitz is right now. Maybe you could see a little bit of a stat bump if he's not having to draw team's number one guys or is able to get a bit more uh, separation. Uh, maybe that's a stat bump instead for Christian Kirk. Uh, I think it's going to end up coming down a lot too overall. How do the Cardinals play at least when they're in the national spotlight? They've got two nationally televised games this year. Uh, both of them are not in very good places as far as how the Cardinals do in nationally televised games. Again, they're Monday night on the road at Dallas is going to be huge up against that crazy Dallas offense. And you're also going to be talking about the Seahawks at home, uh, a game that the Cardinals have not won since 2012 on a last-minute stop in Russell Wilson's first-ever NFL start. Let's go ahead and switch over to the other bit of uh, big NFL news that's been happening this week, which is uh, the changes that have been made to the Rooney Rule. As you know, the Rooney Rule, for those uh, who may be not as familiar, maybe a bit more casual, uh, essentially it's an incentivized process to uh, help minority candidates in the NFL, oftentimes with coaching jobs. Uh, to be able to kind of just put out, obviously, the disclaimer here, <laughs> John and I uh, are both Caucasian, at least, for each of those. Uh, obviously, we're both uh, people who uh, believe in seeking toward equality. There's a lot of stuff we're still learning as far as with us and our process. Uh, we felt it was still important enough if the NFL wanted to be able to talk about it that uh, we should talk about it as well, especially considering the Arizona Cardinals in particular uh, they've had uh, a lot of this become pretty prevalent in the 2018-2019 seasons after they uh, hired a minority candidate in Steve Wilkes uh, and had a uh, you know typical Caucasian pocket passer who obviously you know he was Jewish so there's another form that goes on there in Josh Rosen and then a year later had a complete flip with hiring Cliff Kingsbury at least who then had the team bring in a Asian African American quarterback in Kyler Murray so John the Rooney Rule updates that we're going to see the proposal to begin with was that teams would have either a boost to their draft picks picking higher or receive an additional draft pick even as high as a third round pick uh, that whole discussion was tabled. Instead, we got to see something that was maybe a little bit overdue, but a step forward. Uh, the league, at least, is having it where previously they had to interview one minority candidate for their head coaching job. Uh, now they've gone from one minority to two, and they're also looking at uh, having it where it's not it's needing to be external now, meaning you can't just be able to interview a 
player, uh, excuse me, a you know former player who becomes a coach interviewed. He's not going to be ultimately your guy internally. You bring in someone else that you're looking at. Right. Um, you also are seeing, at least for that one, a teams must interview a minority candidate if they're hiring for any of the three coordinator positions. So special teams coordinator, offensive coordinator, or defensive coordinator. And the third step, at least, was making it easier for assistant coaches uh, to or uh, coordinators to be able to interview for other jobs without a team necessarily blocking them. I like to think of this a few years ago. Uh, Eagles had their quarterbacks coach, John DiFilippo. Uh, teams wanted to bring him in for uh, offensive coordinator position. His contract wasn't up. Teams blocked that specific role since it wasn't really a head coaching type interview. Um, you also, for a Cardinals perspective, could be looking at Byron Leftwich, who was a quarterbacks coach for the team. Uh, there wasn't really any offensive coordinator positions that he was, I guess you could say, teams inquired about but the cardinals would have the opportunity in 2018 to block him keep him on as their quarterbacks coach from leaving for another position and john the reason why all this is coming up is because in 2013 there were basically three head coaches who were uh, minority head coaches i believe unless i'm mistaken and entering in at least in 2004 uh, the cardinals dennis green was one of them the uh Cardinals also had a minority general manager at the time in Rod Graves who's been working with, uh, I believe, you, you can Google the technical terms, but it's like with the Fritz Pollard Alliance and working on this with the NFL. You're looking at teams having to hire for other assistant coach, uh, excuse me, assistant executive uh, positions as well, kind of expanding that rule. And ever since that year in 20, 2003, you look at this all these years later, there's been 15 minority head coaches who have been hired in all of that time, even with six or seven coaches a year, it seems like, like clockwork getting let go. And there's still only three minority head coaches in 2020 in the NFL. Clearly, this is something that was important enough to the NFL. And I think with good reason when you're talking about um, expanding and making sure that you've got an equal opportunity for the best coaches, uh, no matter their background, to be able to uh, be able to at least get the job. Let's talk a bit about, is this something you feel like is that the NFL is taking the right steps in making some of these different moves? And why is it that it's been such a difficult process for teams? Yeah, I can't pretend like I know if this is the best practice or if this is going to have the best result. Um, you know, what I can tell you is the Cardinals have been one of the most proactive t franchises of any in diversifying and hiring outside of just the general scope and, and giving African-American minority coaches and executives a chance to prove themselves. Um, and that has just been super refreshing and great to see and makes me proud to root for this franchise. I believe that the aforementioned Rod Graves and, and God rest his soul, Denny Green, that combo in 2004 when, when Graves um, brought in Dennis Green as their, their new head coach, it was the first time, I think, in NFL history that they had a, a bl at black or an African-American GM and head coach combo, uh, which is which is phenomenal. Um, but it's sad at the same time because I can't think of too many right now outside of the Miami ownership um, and what they've got going on um, down south. So, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, it, I think that we just need to get to a point where we're giving more minority coaches a seat at the table to have a chance to showcase uh, themselves in a positive light in these interview sessions. I think Mike Tomlin was essentially an afterthought, a throw-in 
during the Rooney Rule process, um, but he was so outstanding during the interview that the Rooneys hired him, and and he bypassed many of their other candidates. Um, and I remember when when Tomlin was hired, I'm like, I don't really know that name, but that was kind of the 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 basis for the Rooney Rule was Tomlin came out of nowhere, clearly qualified, had may or may not have been held back in his career but sold himself in the interview process, and we want to get to that point where guys are having that opportunity. Now, you look at somebody like Eric Bieniemy with the Eric Bieniemy, or I think, I can't, is that the actor or is that the coach? I can't remember if that's, if that's the, the uh, offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, his first name is Eric, and he's been their OC for the better part of two years. He took over for Matt Nagy, who went to Chicago. Um, and they've had historic offensive seasons since he has taken over. And he's had a multitude of interviews um, over the course of the last two off seasons and hasn't been um, selected for a head coaching position. And that, I know, has frustrated him. I think he was even turned down for a college either interview or head job at a, a mid-level college program. Um, and so I know that that is probably spurring a lot of these conversations um, a lot of it is interview, though. If you remember, Steve Wilkes had a very modest, not necessarily coaching background, but modest success in the NFL at the coaching level. But he had blown away Steve Kime as a human being and as an individual in the in the interview. Um, and they had a little bit of background where they, they met each other on vacation. He was just so impressed with the guy. And I remember when, when that hire was made, Blake, you and I were really excited for Steve Wilkes um, because he checked all the boxes that we had hoped just from an energetic guy. And it had nothing to do with race, but it was just like, man, this you, you want to run through a wall with this guy. He looks the part um, as, a, as a leader of men. And he just wasn't a very good head coach. And they had a historically poor season. And unfortunately, he was let go and... It may or may not be fair, but it was it was unfair. The team he inherited was not was not great, and so I think the biggest issue with that how that all went down was well, how could Steve Wilkes keep his job or lose his job and Kime keep his? Whereas Kime had a chance to build up credibility, and wh- where was Steve Wilkes's opportunity to do that? Is all I know is that he 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 seemed like a great human being and a really phenomenal person to root for off the field. I was at the Green Bay game, and those players played hard for him. And it's unfortunate that it didn't work out. Um, and I, you and I are, are his biggest advocates and want him to have success. But he's out of the league right now. I, I messaged you, and I put something out on Twitter like a week and a half ago. I'm like, can you, can you believe we were sitting here roughly 18 months ago loving that hire, thinking that he was going to be – he and Rosen were going to be just a godsend to Arizona. Now neither are with the team. And both could be out of football completely here in about a year. And Wilkes can't get a job even as a coordinator now in the NFL. I mean, he had a really subpar year for Cleveland. They were they underperformed defensively last year. I mean, he just hasn't, he hasn't done a great job. Um, and I'm not here to make excuses for him. But I just going back to the, your original question, and I, I don't know what the solution is. I'm, just, I'm, I'm happy that the Cardinals are proactive. I think right now waiting in the wings are two individuals of, of – um, who, who happen to be minorities, if and when Kime slips up, that are ready to take that mantle of GM. Uh, and one of them happens to be, you know, former Cardinal great Adrian Wilson. So, and the Cardinals like to promote from within, have done so each of the last three times for GM. So 
it could be a scenario in which we have another African-American GM uh, if Kime if Kime falters here in the next year or so. So uh, I, I hope African-Americans get more opportunities at least to interview because I feel like at the end of the day, we need to shake things up. And so many of these coaches are retread coaches that get these head jobs. But my counterpoint to that is you look at somebody like Vance Joseph, who is the defensive coordinator for the Cardinals, and I think that has less to do with race and more to do with, well, Vance was a head guy and he's been recycled as a DC and he's just kind of a name and maybe that's why he got hired. I don't think it was a, a race factor. Um, we still want Vance to do well. We have hopes. I don't know if they're high, but we have hopes for Vance this year. But it just, the, all these things are, are cyclical and we there no one thing is interchangeable, but I do I do know that you know, having the limited amount of African-American head coaches, coordinators is, is, is pretty unacceptable. And I, I hope that, you know, as we progress as a society and as a football culture, we can, we can change this so more are able to have the success that few have had, like a Tomlin, like a Tony Dungy, and like what we had hoped for Steve Wilkes, Blake. Um, there's uh, owners in a lot of places, at least, are just some of them will do what they want to do. Uh, I think you can take a look, obviously, at um, some of the different decisions that were done or made in the past from other spots. I first one that came to mind, at least for me, is looking at the embarrassment of uh, the Houston Texans blowing a what was it like a twenty-one point lead over the Chiefs with Bill O'Brien, then not only kind of doubling down on Bill O'Brien um, by keeping him, but also neglecting the fact to look at the offensive coordinator on the other side of the ball and Eric Bieniemy, what he has done with a Patrick Mahomes. Um, and to see that he didn't even get, I believe, an interview this last offseason. Teams made other different moves, bringing back a, a coach like a Ron Rivera, who uh, he's at least been strong. He's the one, uh, I believe, minority coach who went from one team to another team. So it wasn't like it was a adding a new person or a new face there. It was essentially a lateral move to another team. Um, you're also talking then about... Um, uh, with the other like other hires, like with Mike McCarthy being brought back. It's difficult, John, I think, and this is probably where the core of it comes from, is there's not a great method that we see for being able to develop and be able to have the best quality coaches, uh, especially those who are minority, be able to get those type of opportunities and advancements because there just isn't really a great place for it. A lot of times we've seen, John, this is just kind of the history of the National Football League, uh, you always talk about the jokes about you know a coach's son ending up as a quarterback. Uh, you talk about different positions or even how difficult it can be because of it's being an, you know drifting toward an, an offensive game. I like to think of right now with the best example that comes to mind is Todd Bowles is a guy who is so good at his job as a defensive coordinator. He goes to the Jets. It's not a great situation. He's going to probably take over for Bruce Arians with the Buccaneers. Whether that's going to end up being a move that is, you know, solidifying this great in an offensive league, I, I don't know the second time around. But I can at least say that the pedigree of the person as far as his ability is dynamic. And that's where you see a lot of times with guys like him, even with head coach Anthony Lynn, a lot of times guys in the defensive side end up being the ones who kind of make their rise through the coaching ranks. But when you're in an offensive league, you look at the guys who are the offensive gurus right now. Cliff Kingsbury is a former college and NFL quarterback. You even look at with uh, Bruce Arians bringing Byron Leftwich, he's a guy who was a quarterback. I think, John, there's a changing of the guard we're kind of seeing in the NFL. And I, you and I have talked a bit about it before with 
guys like a Russell Wilson with uh, Kyler Murray, even seeing guys like Dwayne Haskins being drafted, uh, there's at least a move toward a lot of more opportunity as it opens up, I think, for people at younger levels, whether it's with coaching or others, to be able to have those opportunities and finding people who are great teachers of the game. I think that's kind of the pattern that ultimately is what's going to have to be affected and changed first. And it is going to take more of those interviews like the Mike Tomlins or how I felt like it was with the Arizona Cardinals. Like, you may end up seeing if there's a need for teams to have to inquire for the GM position. I think that means that Adrian Wilson and Quentin Harris may end up having to leave the Cardinals because of getting more interviews as a result. I think that's a great move for the NFL. It's It'll be sad, I think, to lose some of those guys. But overall, when you're talking about the need to essentially have to kind of push owners in this place, it's just kind of unfortunate because I think it's a time issue. Um, I think back to Ray Horton. He was a guy who felt like he was deserving of the Cardinals job. They looked at it very differently. They brought in Bruce Arians. He brought in Todd Bowles. And you see where it is now. Todd Bowles is a guy who's, again, in line to become a head coach for the second time. Uh, Ray Horton, someone who never really rose up to that level for one reason or another. Some of that, honestly, John, is I think Arians gave Bowles the opportunity. He gave that to Leftwich, and I hope we'll be able to see some of that happen with Cliff Kingsbury, at least at some level. Uh, It's going to be very interesting because some of that, obviously, again, is you only know who you know. Like, John, you and I know each other, at least for that. There's other people who are in different workplaces. It's very difficult, at least, to be able to have that without some of that context or that opportunity Um, To be able to have, I I think it's just a working procedure where what we're ultimately hoping for, John, is that you'll be able to have coaches go into these interviews and be able to feel like that the interview is conducted, as as people say, in good faith. Uh, I think Mina Kimes of uh, ESPN, I believe, talked a lot about that, where you go into an interview and you're not just a box to check. I think we even talked about that with, um, what was it, Keith Armstrong or some of the other people the Cardinals were looking at interviewing. It seemed like it was almost a checkbox Um, for some for the Rooney rule you don't want to have that be the case you want it to have a spot where you're able to hire the best candidate you also want to make sure that it is the best candidate versus you know uh, the worst thing I think that you can possibly have John this would be me is if you're a person who's sitting in a job for an interview you get brought in and they talk to you and they go for some different discussions and you leave and you have someone speak to you like hey like they knew you weren't qualified for the job they just wanted to bring you in as a barometer so that the guy that they wanted to hire Really, they know that he stands out and he's going to be well above for all of that. That that ultimately then reflects on me and it's demeaning because not only did I feel used, not only did I end up getting interviewed for a job that I was never going to be get, getting or considered for, I feel like that it was just a total waste of time and getting my hopes up. And I think that that's a spot that you feel like that in that sense, you're almost neglecting someone's hum- base humanity at that point. And that's why my hope, John, is that we'll be able to ultimately say that the Rooney rule won't need to exist at all, but... For now, with having to deal with our flawed human state, it, it certainly does. Yeah, you articulated that you know much better than I did in my in my little rant. But I, what I will say is that you know I, I think that putting an emphasis on it is something that the NFL needs to continue to to press um, because if they if they lapse on this, then then owners will not feel the sense of urgency. Um, and you know I respect. Michael Bidwell for giving his general managers basically a hundred percent onus and and commitment, basically saying that you you know you pick whomever you feel like is the best candidate, no matter ethnicity. And I think that once owners enable their GMs to do that, because I I really do think that the majority of NFL GMs, whether or not 
they're African-American, Hispanic, Caucasian, whatever. I feel like most of them have a good sense of, you know, what they've seen when and what they know what it takes to win in the NFL. So really it's an ownership issue lesser than a GM issue um, because I think that African-American, Caucasian, Hispanic GMs just want the best candidate. I think when you can get into lesser decisions being made or more decisions being made based on race, I think it comes a little bit more from ownership, um, unfortunately. Um, people or ownership wanting to go with a safe approach um, rather than maybe what the best candidate is. And so the more that we can integrate um, minority candidates at the, at the executive level and the GM level, I think coaches will have a much better chance to just have a, have a fair shake at the end of the day um, at, the, at the interview table. But I, I think majority of, of NFL owners uh, happen to be white or, or Caucasian. So we're at a position now where, you know, we're going to have to see the next Michael Bidwells of the world or of the NFL world come into fruition in a lot of these teams where individuals inherit, you know, the team from their from their dad or their mom or whomever, because it was it was Michael Bidwell who made the decision to give Rod Graves, uh, you know, the basically enabling him to pick Denny Green as the next head coach. I mean, Michael Bidwell has been incredibly progressive when it comes to in a, um, empowering African-American executives and coaches. And that makes me, again, proud to be a Cardinal fan. But on the flip side, and you, you can look this up, this is well known, Bill Bidwell's father tried to keep African-Americans from coming into the NFL in the, I think it was like the mid-1900s. So it, it, it's both opposite ends of the spectrum. When they wanted to integrate the NFL, Bill Bidwell's father did not want to do that. And so we, we need to see a position of, of evolution and change when it comes to ownership more than anything in the NFL. So it's unfortunate, but I, I do think the NFL is, is taking some steps into making this a, you know, a consistent research study or a consistent method of approach every offseason. And so I commend them for that even said you know cast the first stone yourself there's obviously a lot of room i think for self-reflection i think that's part of where you can be proud of uh, the decisions that kyme and bidwell have made you can look at even just the uh, fact that the cardinals have had some of their more promising drafts obviously uh, the, the, you know the ink isn't dry yet but some of their promising drafts after seeing terry mcdonough take on a more of a supporting role and letting quentin harris and adrian wilson be able to run their drafts mm-hmm yeah, and that's one of the things that you're hoping to be able to get to that point. Obviously, there's a lot of factors that go in just in you know with the U.S. as far as, like you said, about the evolution from when you had Charles Bidwell uh, to where it is now. I, I, have, I clearly look toward someone like a Larry Fitzgerald, who's a minority owner of a professional sports team now. No doubt. Uh, there's They've a lot been of much steps, better. I think, and there's a lot of changes that we'll see over the next few years. But to me, John, there's probably no bigger change than the types of players like a Kyler Murray being able to have a uh, 5'10 athletic guy who's known for the incredible brilliance that he has of being able to read and recognize a defense while also having the same athleticism or even having the most recognized player in the league right now in Patrick Mahomes as far as the athleticism, those are kind of the guys who I think will be those future coaches of the world, those future guys who will inspire other young athletes. 
I think it comes down to just whatever people are doing in their specific area. If it's, you know, challenging yourself in some type of places, at least to be able to look at it. Like, I think a lot of it, even just for me looking at this pandemic was, gosh, like, I never realized how often I just left the shopping cart in the middle of <laughs> the parking lot and did nothing with it, not thinking about if it would hit another car, if I had to, like, put up, maybe I'll just, you know, stick it up on one of those curbsides, at least, and that way it at least won't roll in, uh, versus just the common decency, you know, bring the cart back over to the little spot, just as an extra step of measure of good faith to, you know, know the people who are essentially, right now, for a lot of them, are considered essential workers, or having to be paid very little for a lot of the work they're going through it's just a spot at least where i think there's a lot of when you talk about with areas of progress i don't think it honestly needs to be this huge overwhelming revolution so much as taking little steps every single day and that's part of why i'm glad that the nfl is taking a step that they should have probably done a little bit ago to hopefully bring in more guys like Adrian Wilson's and Quentin Harris's into future NFL head coaching offices. I would love to see a lot more development on the offensive side. Um, it would be great to me to see the Cardinals. Uh, I do believe that their wide receiver coach, David Rye, is probably going to get picked up by another team, especially now since Cliff's not going to be able to block him from leaving. I could see there being a team that decides to pick him up, bring him in as an offensive coordinator. Would love to be able to see some of these former wide receivers that you're seeing a lot of uh, kind of go through the NFL, um, be able to kind of step up and take on some of the mantle as future offensive coordinators or coaches. There just has not been, I think, a lot of opportunity that's been available. Having a Rooney rule in place with a change like this hopefully will be an extra step toward that measure. And honestly, John, the thing that I think that's most encouraging um, to me is when you're looking back in the way the Arizona Cardinals handled that 2018 situation, there was so much that was cast out as far as with ideas of racism or areas of proven or not giving Steve Wilkes enough time. I think at least looking at it now, you can at least say, hey, take everything out of it as far as for what's gone into it. I think overall you can be pretty assured that the Cardinals, it seems, made the right decision. What I think you'd want to be able to say is if the tables were flipped and let's say that Cliff Kingsbury was hired, he was completely overwhelmed, stayed to his 10 personnel, Josh Rosen got sacked a lot, the team brings in Steve Wilkes and let's say he adjusted and adapted his scheme throughout the year. If that was the case in some you know alternate universe, you could look at it and say, yeah, Cardinals made the right decision there too. I just want that to be able to be the case where we're able to talk about the NFL and the NFL is not having to stoop to these new types of, you know, essentially having to double down on that. But some of that I think is going to be human nature as well. And we'll end up seeing where things go over the next few years, but at least for where it is right now, John, it's at a crux at least where I'm glad that the NFL is able to make a change like this. While at the same time, it does seem like there is still quite a long ways for them to go. Yeah, I mean, I was I was one of the people who thought that, you know, the pairing of Wilkes and Rosen could be, to a, a lesser extent, like Tony Dungy and, and Peyton Manning. Those were the, the kind of marriages that we wanted, the traditional pocket passer with the high IQ defensive coordinator. Um, and, you know, race had nothing to do with it. But you could see the comparisons in how both the individuals carried themselves, their backgrounds in coaching. Dungy, of course, was a a brilliant defensive mind and we thought that the Cardinals found a, a, like a, a diamond in Steve Wilkes and I remember that move was a, applauded the Cardinals had done their vetting just didn't work out and Steve Wilkes probably deserved a second year but you know he's I hate using this this phrase but he's being paid well he can bide his time and you know what hopefully the next job offer he gets 
sets him up in a better position to succeed because that one with the Cardinals, you're right, Blake. I mean, he really didn't have a chance with that that roster put together by Kime, um, the offensive staff that they had. Uh, you know, who knows? What if he had gone to a team that had a little bit more veteran presence on it and he could focus just on, and they had the right kind of four, three players in place and he could just focus on doing his thing. I think a lot of that can be can be stemmed back to the fact that the Cardinals were just really short-sighted with the rebuilding effort. Um, and I think it's the same thing happened to Todd Bowles um, to a greater extent in, in uh, with the Jets. I think Todd Bowles deserves another head coaching job. Um, and I was disappointed to, to see the Cardinals not interview him two years ago when they, a year ago when they hired Kingsbury. Because I think Todd Bowles, I don't think the Cardinals are done with Todd Bowles at the end of the day. And so, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. But, you know, we, we just don't want it, this, this process to get to a point where it turns into a gimmick. We want real sincerity put into it. Experience uh, became the DC at the end of the year after uh, the uh, current Bills head coach, at least I believe, ended up. Uh, he left the Carolina Panthers. It seemed like all of the, the steps were lining up, and he'd been with the team for a long time. At a lot of praise for his personality and leadership, and it just showed, you just don't really know until a guy sometimes gets into the position what will happen. Wilkes came in and interviewed essentially with the Cardinals and was like, "Yeah, I'll be able to be a flexible guy who's able to." mold and adjust and we're going to be a team that's going to be able to play to player strengths and when he got in he just was not able to really adjust outside of what that defense was in California and was not able to manage the game in a way that was able to succeed for the Cardinals I think that's where there's a risk when you have to take a a new head coach on no matter what when you get that fresh blood you just you're not sure now two years later uh, he after a difficult time where the Browns essentially were uh, burdened on offense and on the defensive side he's out of the league Whereas you look at other coaches, like the one that comes to mind, obviously, John, we've talked a lot about, is how when Andy Reid was a successful coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, he had a few down seasons, ending, I believe, in that 2012 year with uh, Nick Foles as a rookie quarterback. He ends up getting jettisoned, goes to the Kansas City Chiefs, is able to build a playoff contender, and all of the stubbornness or the issues that people complained about him having and you saw in the Eagles, he learned from a lot of those and then adapted and adjusted in the next area he was at. That's even true, ultimately, of other coaches like Bruce Arians or other coaches like Pete Carroll. The obvious example you can look at, of course, would be Bill Belichick himself, who was formerly the head coach of the Browns, flamed out there, finding a, found a situation with the Patriots, whereas a marriage of learning from errors as well as being able to continue in a much better situation. And that's where I think it gets tough is how much of that obviously do you allow for room for failure, for growth, for guys to learn from mistakes versus seeing a retread who goes from team to team. I think of Adam Gase as the prototype for this right now. He was essentially kind of washed out at the end where he was not supposed to be fired at the end of that season, has a fallout with the owner, uh, goes to the Jets, and people are looking at what's gone on with the team, and it's one of the most drama-heavy ones, it seems, in the NFL. Um, you then also even look at Bill O'Brien, who has seemingly decided to strip away, get as much power as possible. It's just a spot where how do you determine how many of those guys can then also learn, be able to adjust and adapt after a sense of essentially a failure. Cliff Kingsbury for the Arizona Cardinals, he may be the prototype of that. He failed enough at the college level where he never had a winning record. He still doesn't have a winning record with the Cardinals. We're putting a lot of eggs in this basket, John, with both of us predicting that for Arizona next year. 
But in a lot of cases, we got to see that he, and even in that first game, turn adjusted his offense around multiple times throughout the year, was able to start looking like a competitive winning team. It's something where I think what it ultimately shows at the end of the day, just like any business or any hiring process, it's very difficult to be able to know, like we always talk about the head and the heart. What is the thing that motivates a guy? And what is their ability to, you know, mentally be able to adjust and adapt? It's not easy. It's something that does take quite a bit amount of luck. It takes a bit of skill to get in. And ultimately, that's part of where, just like in any other type of life, John, that's how it is in the NFL, just with much, much higher stakes. Like we mentioned Steve Wilkes. He's potentially ready to sit out a year because he's still getting paid by the Arizona Cardinals. They signed that deal. It's a guaranteed deal. He's still getting paid for them. And he's looking for a spot that's going to be a bit longer lasting this time around. Um, hopefully he's able to find it. And I hope the same, at least for uh, many of the other coaches, at least in the NFL as well. Um, like you say, it's always great to be able to see those with a second chance. Speaking of second chances, uh, we're going to close out our podcast, at least today, talking about Josh Rosen. The news that came out, at least last week, was that there's been several teams who inquired about Rosen's availability. Uh, this is a guy who was a top 10 draft pick by the Cardinals, uh, comes in kind of almost forced to, as Sam Bradford just seemed like he had been mentally broken by the time that the Chicago Bears defense with the multiple fumbles comes in to supposed to be the savior leading the Cardinals to a franchise quarterback scenario with a new head coach ends up having essentially one of the worst seasons on record that isn't even totally his fault given the uh, overturn on the offensive line the dropped passes the lack of any wide receiver play after Christian Kirk went down for the year all of this kind of pain that happened he goes to the Miami Dolphins is maybe one of the most talented quarterbacks that they've had uh, since their draft pick of Ryan Tannehill ends up losing out on the job to Ryan Fitzpatrick just looks pretty abysmal in some of the starts with turnovers uh, some also great passes downfield that are dropped for the most part as well too ends up getting benched and you see for the second year in a row after the Cardinals uh, move on from Josh Rosen to Kyler Murray with the number one overall pick the Miami Dolphins likewise move on bringing in Tua Tunga-Vailoa and Josh Rosen may again be on the move so uh, John what do you think is the core of this is this just the worst luck in the world for Josh Rosen is some of this where he just was overrated a bit of a bust coming in. Like what are we to do with this? And what is the future expectation for a Josh Rosen? Yeah, I think it's possible to be overrated and also to ruin a quarterback. But I do think at the end of the day in the NFL, now the landscape of the league, I think if you've got talent, it's evident and it will show up and you will give, be given an opportunity, um, especially for for a player that was drafted as high as Rosen, you're going to get chances to prove yourself. And at the end of the day, I mean, he had a, a horrendous rookie season. Again, put into a, a terrible position to succeed with the supporting cast, with the coaching staff. Still remember that um, game against the Bears where they forced him in for the last drive just to get eaten alive by Khalil Mack. Then the following season traded away to a rebuilding Miami team, really could not get his bearings about him, made some throws that were impressive but never showed any kind of consistency, was essentially beat out twice by Ryan Fitzpatrick, and now they've got Tua Tanglia if I can pronounce his last name, into the field, and it looks like he could be the odd man out again. I'm sure they're shopping him. Why wouldn't they have shopped him all offseason? I think they're probably disappointed with the compensation they gave Arizona 
Uh, I think there's a good chance he could be on a on a different roster this this fall. There's always questions about does he love football? What about his interests off the field? Um, what about his you know because he, he was always compared as an intellectual to, to Aaron Rodgers, kind of kind of aloof, not you know a guy's guy, go out and drink beers with the rest of the team. He was an intellect, right? And that scared a lot of teams off of him, but maybe it was more so they just didn't see his talent at UCLA translating to the NFL. I was wrong. It's probably my biggest miss, uh, not scouting, but watching tape of a, of a prospect that I became infatuated with. Um, you and I both loved him pre-draft. You go back to our shows leading up to that draft. Um, I thought Rosen making it to Arizona was a pipe dream. I think most of people thought Cardinals would be in the Lamar sweepstakes. Turns out they had their choice and they picked wrong. Uh, and the, the, the better question is how far would Rosen had fallen had the Cardinals passed on him and gone a different position or, uh, or had gone with Lamar Jackson. So, you know, at the end of the day, you, you wonder about his love for, for the game. And I, I don't know if that's fair to say, but that's what was coming out pre-draft and so he has not been able to hold on to a starting job um for for two rebuilding franchises if he had enough talent another team would be able to to come to Miami and give them a draft pick to say we're gonna let this guy I mean he's going into year three I know he hasn't had consistent um you know offensive schemes put around him he's had a bunch of disarray in that regard but I mean what say New England didn't take a quarterback this year? Why wouldn't New England throw a, a pick at Miami, even though they're in the same division, and say we're just going to let him come in and and compete? Teams that like a Chicago, instead of trading a, a fourth for Nick Foles, let's bring Rosen in to compete. Um, so it just it's disapp- I'm disappointed for him because I'm sure this is not how he thought his NFL career would would have gone. But at the end of the day, kudos to the Cardinals. They made the right decision, you know, tenfold. And I think that, listen, everybody lauded the Cardinals when they made that trade-up. Most people said they won the draft. They were criticized the following year, and then now they feel vindicated. We'll see what happens with Andy Isabella on that pick 62 or 63 that he's always going to be connected to, uh, that being the Rosen second-rounder from Miami. But as far as Rosen goes, I think there's a better chance, a much better chance, that Rosen is out of football in the next two to three years than he is um, starting for a team and having any kind of success. I think that it weighs heavily. I think that the league kind of has outgrown that kind of player. Rosen was more mobile than he showed at UCLA, but was still hampered by immobility as a rookie, and that's only gotten worse. And so you see these athletes now at the quarterback position, and I'm not talking, you know, racial uh, component to that because we see these big physical players next year we're going to see it in Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence this year Joe Burrow and, and Tua just incredible athletes Herbert had four rushing touchdowns I think four rushing touchdowns in the Rose Bowl winning the Rose Bowl for Oregon I mean you got to be able to move and Rosen kind of feels like Blake he was the last of a dying breed where it was like here's this pocket quarterback that went to you know blue blood UCLA which generally, historically, was a quarterback factory, right, with, with Troy Aikman, among others, in the Pac-12, where a lot of former top quarterbacks were drafted. You're going to come in. You're going to sit. We're going to build up the roster. You're, you're eventually going to take over. You're a pocket passer. We believe in you. That's not the NFL anymore. The NFL is now get these athletes to come in and elevate us year one. 
and Rosen couldn't do that. And time is running out. That rookie contract he had that the Cardinals are still paying on, I think, that's running out. There's going to be less and less of a benefit for teams to want to bring him in after that rookie contract expires unless he he takes below that, unless he takes close to a vet minimum after that contract expires. So, of course, he's not going to have his fifth-year option picked up. We'll see what happens, but I think there's a good chance, and sadly, he's out of football in two years. From the gods that they were able to get him at number 10 out of a Pac-12 Southern California school with a pocket passer who supposedly had limited uh, physical ability, at least for that one, coming out compared to the arm strength, but was you know considered to be a winner and had the mentality um, with a little bit of questions about you know some areas of some people wondered if the love of the game was the same. It was Matt Leinart, and that was the joke that I think I put out thinking, yeah, it's not going to happen or bite me in the butt, but there was a little bit of kind of that oh, God. seed of doubt, and some of that is just because you look back in that 2018 year, and John, you and I both thought that Rosen would be long gone by that point, and a lot of the player we were looking at was Lamar Jackson to see would he potentially develop as a passer to go along with an electric running ability uh, versus the higher floor that you got out of a guy like Josh Rosen as a passer. Clearly, looking back in the future, uh, from the future, I should say, uh, it was probably about as different as can be. And in that sense, it's very difficult because uh, we, we found out more info as far as with, you know, there's some areas as far as with Rosen that maybe were always considered questionable. The only two teams that really were looking at him in the first round, we know, were Arizona. We talk about a prototypical fit for uh, Mike McCoy's system. A lot of that went into it, as well as the fact that, you know, the Cardinals weren't going to be able to get one of the Josh Allens or get a Baker Mayfield, even a Sam Darnold. Um, the other fact, at least, is that the uh, Cardinals, when they were looking at Josh Rosen, they brought him in. They really liked their uh, meeting their approach with him. They felt like he was going to be a good fit for them and for their team. It wasn't like he was problematic or and teammates were, you know, throwing him under the bus or anything. It was just overall it came down to how much of that was the team fit versus the player and as we're seeing in a different situation in a spot this brought back some of the notes that I think I talked about in once we did our season finale last year on the podcast I had to look up and I found what were the three things I said that Rosen needed to improve on the three biggest ones that were very obvious from his rookie year was being able to read the field uh, better and quicker and being able to get the ball out. That was something that we didn't see a lot of improvement in in Miami where he would throw the ball late over the middle, ball would get intercepted. Uh, that was one of the cases that we also saw in Arizona. It just looked like he wasn't quite up to sp- the speed. There were times where he'd make the right read. It was just the ball would get there late. And as we've seen with a guy like Kyler who's got a superior arm strength, I look to the David Johnson touchdown against the Steelers, and I think it was the fourth quarter where he floats the ball, at least for that one, but it was on a line. I should say it was thrown on a line. He had two Steelers defensive backs in the area. The ball gets there before both those guys are able to make a play on the ball, and it's a touchdown to David Johnson. When you're looking at Josh Rosen making that same throw without that same arm strength, that's a ball that very well could get picked, and that's one of the things that's difficult is you have to make up for some of that by having uh, either a better sense of accuracy, a better sense of rhythm and timing, and the fact that it never was really developed from that sense for Rosen, despite the three years of starting, just kind of shows that was one thing maybe you have to wonder how much he had at all or how much was maybe masked by UCLA. 
Uh, the second one was obviously using his mobility more to extend plays. Some of this we got to even see in the Rams game where, despite the low passing, he was able to run down the field. It was just a question of with his limited athleticism and mobility in an NFL that now features Pat Mahomes, Russell Wilson, <laughs> Lamar Jackson uh, as some of the top guys. Even a guy who's able to extend plays now like a Joe Burrow is coming into the league. Uh, and the last one, at least, obviously, was there were times where Rosen was just too high or too inaccurate, and maybe this is kind of the harboring of the first ever real uh-oh that I think I ever had with Josh Rosen was watching an off-field, uh, I guess it was an accuracy drill, whether it was with him or Drew Brees or something that they had where it was essentially just having to hit a still target. And it was just interesting because Rosen had, I think, three shots at the target, and it was just one, two, three, and he pulled and missed, like, I think it was the last two or the last three when he was like, and he was kicking himself. And I was like, okay, that's good. He's wanting to improve. He's got maybe a bit of that competitive fire. But the fact that it was something that you could talk about as far as for needing that level of accuracy that you need to play in the NFL, where you're able to go out and make plays. The fact that he came into the league, he didn't have as much from it. And as we've seen, John, so far, it makes me think that it is more likely, at least, that you could probably look at it and say, yes, the situation is bad, but there still is probably a lot more that we can say was overhyped with Rosen to begin with. And even since, it hasn't seemed like so far that there's been at least that type of a call where he's seen the same type of, I don't know if it's fire or a coach or whatever it is, it's somehow there's something hasn't been there for him. My hope and belief is that I'd love to see him go out and be able to acquire and get that. But at this point in the NFL, like you said, John, it's going to be very difficult not to see him end up taking more of that Blaine Gabbert career path as a right. number three for a team to try on. I, I got to feel that the Patriots, if they were going to make a move, would have made some type of move before this. It seems that they're going to be content with in an off season where they're going to have very little time to prep just due to the coronavirus. It feels like they would have tried to get him into the building sooner than later. I think it's very possible, John, that we've seen kind of the last chance for Rosen, and it wouldn't shock me if his confidence as well is completely gone at this point, too. Yeah, I mean, he's he's destined for big things out, outside of football when, once he's able to make that transition. Um, but, yeah, I, I definitely feel like if Bill Belichick was going to make that move, he would have made it by now. I would have. I thought he would have been a great fit in Green Bay as the heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers, or just to have kind of a flyer to upgrade their backup situation. That was before they went, you know, nuts and, and traded up for Jordan Love. So that that theory was debunked quick, quickly. But, you know, there, there are very few spots right now when you look at the landscape of the NFL. There are very few spots where he could go and become the guy. I think his best chance once he's able to pick his landing spot, I think is to kind of pull a Jameis where Jameis went to Sean Payton and said, I'll sign a one-year deal. Let me come learn from you, learn how to be a pro, prove myself uh, in an offensive-friendly system. I think Rosen would love that opportunity if he still wants to play once he hits the open market to take a cheap one-year deal and to go be under a, a quarterback guru of a head coach like a Sean Payton um, maybe under a Bruce Arian, somebody like that where he could revitalize his career. Because unfortunately for him, he's been playing for two defensive coaches that then ended up with their team with the number one pick uh, or a number five pick in Miami. So um, I, I'm, I'm hopefully gets that opportunity. And maybe one day we're talking about him leading a team to the postseason a la Ryan Tannehill where You've kind of been kicked to the curb, even though Tannehill showed much more as the seventh overall pick out of Texas A&M. 
coming into a franchise with minimal expectations as a backup in the coming years and then taking over midseason because there's an injury or a whatever and he having some success. I think that that would be, would be great to see because, listen, after he released that video when the Cardinals took Kyler Murray a year ago, I think everybody became a Rosen supporter and a fan. Maybe not necessarily for his on-the-field play, but as a human being, uh, to see him show that humility and self-awareness, knowing that the NFL is a business. Um, and so we'll see. We'll see what happens to him. But I definitely think there's a chance he could be out of Miami and on a different roster, at least this preseason, Blake. As weird as it is to say, he's, uh, I believe, accrued enough time that he's not going to be practice squad eligible, which it's like that's a weird thing to say. But, hey, teams can protect a player on the practice squad now, so that way you can keep that roster spot open. Uh, what would be your prediction as far as the team is going to deal a pick and what would essentially be the value that you would see now? Because I really have a hard time seeing this as being anything more than probably a late three day three conditional pick like what the Cardinals gave up to acquire Matt Barkley and uh, I think it was that 2000 and was it 16 year I think uh, they acquired Matt Barkley maybe it was 2015 late I have to remember which one it was yeah yeah I, I the compensation is going to be fifth, fifth or a sixth rounder uh, at best. I think a good fit for him. I don't know if he'd be willing to do it. I think a team that makes sense is right in the Cardinals' own division, that being the LA Rams, coming back to LA where he played his college ball, going for a coach uh, like McVeigh in a system that I think would highlight his strengths. I and mean, once upon a time, he was a super accurate quarterback. Um, he and he and Goff are, are very very um, comparable in terms of uh, pro prospects. Goff just was fortunate enough to get McVay when he did. And the backup situation in L.A. is not great. They've got John Wolford as the backup to Jared Goff. So that team, to me, makes a lot of sense. But again, they have, you know, they've, they've shipped out draft picks left and right. I don't know if they'd be one of the teams willing to, to part ways with the draft pick. But, hey, if it's a seventh rounder, why not? thing to me would be the... Uh... I believe the first one that stood out the most would be the Atlanta Falcons. They do not have a, outside of, I think, Matt Schaub, a young backup quarterback that has at least rumor talent who'd have to be able to sit for a few years and stylistically is very, very similar to Matt Ryan as far as not really the, uh, and obviously Ryan, I think, has a much better arm um, and has developed over time. A lot of times you'd look at Matt Ryan and coming out, Josh Rosen coming out, their stats look, pretty much identical for the most part. It wasn't the best situation at Boston College. It wasn't the best situation for Rosen. Uh, the difference seems to be, though, is that Ryan seemed to lift his team up and Rosen seemed ultimately um, hampered a lot by the offensive coordinator and what uh, what with you, at least for all those. Uh, the other team I think that would be really interesting to me that would look at, that could look at him would be the, um, I got it written down here, uh, the Minnesota Vikings. Kirk Cousins and the type of player he is as a fourth-round pick, uh, who would be able to essentially has risen to where he's at due to um, hard work, to be able to good uh, as well through 
um, kind of the opportunity that he had. Maybe he was underdrafted, at least for that one, had a lot more. Uh, was able to build himself up despite the fact that RG3 was there and becoming a long-term starting quarterback and essentially was able to show, even though he's never been able to be uh, even like the most consistent quarterback, having great games for one and then the very next game just having it dip down, uh, I think that would be a great landing spot as well as the skill set and the system. You've got some great wide receivers who are uh, there, one of them being a rookie as a run game first. Um, I like your idea of the Rams with all of those bootlegs, the off-wide that's played. Uh, what's interesting about Rosen is that the teams that I think would be the most favored to him are ones that would run a lot of those quick read RPOs. When we did see the two-minute drill and a lot of the quick passing game, that was when Rosen really seemed to shine. I, it would be really interesting to me to see, and this would be where I'm ultimately predicting that I think he could head to, uh, would be the Carolina Panthers because of Matt Rule bringing in a guy like a Joe Brady, um, being able to have that. The fact that they've got Teddy Bridgewater did not draft a quarterback that is there. Uh, they traded away Kyle Allen from that team as well. Um, that would be the one that I could see potentially if they say, hey, we've got a 20-21-6 runner. We can bring the guy in at least with all of that. Um, that way, if they're in a spot where some people think, hey, they may get the number one pick or so next year if they need to um, you know, put in a guy. Teddy's never really had the best shot overall. He's finally getting a chance for the first time since uh, that Vikings team when he unfortunately tore his ACL before the season. Uh, I think it was not even an ACL tear. It was essentially like an entire knee was just like almost gone. And the fact that he's able to play again is is incredible. That would be a spot that I feel like would be another good one you could head to just because of the fact that they're on a such a long-term plan. You could sit there for two years behind Teddy Bridgewater for that fact and be able to sit and learn, uh, be able to have the benefit of time. And the fact that you're going to have a college coordinator who I think fits a lot of his skill set pretty well overall. And I, I think that would be the spot that I would ultimately pick, especially after they traded away Kyle Allen. Uh, we'll just have to see. It's it's The Dolphins don't have to move him. Uh, but again, it's crazy to me, John, is we've reached the end. We've got to, I think, the halfway point of the 2019 season. Uh, we were talking about this going in. Hey, we're going to compare. What does Kyler look like? What does Rosen look like? We got to the halfway point of the 2019 season, and it wasn't even a discussion anymore. It wasn't even a question anymore that the Cardinals were there. Kyler made throws in that Detroit game that Rosen did not make throughout the duration of his entire season. Um, and then you combine the mobility, the acceleration, the arm strength. I mean, it wasn't the only knock on, on Kyler in comparison to Rosen was just the measurables from a height standpoint. Um, he had him everywhere and anywhere, sideways and up and down. I think Kingsbury would have done good things with Rosen. I'm on the record of saying that. Um, but in terms of the, the ceiling, what do you want? You want Kingsbury to try to make it work with a guy in hopes that one day you could turn him into something or do you want him to take the, the transcendent? I mean, Murray was a transcendent talent, and if he would have been six six foot six two, I mean, you would have been it would have been a unanimous decision, and maybe they would have shopped Rosen much earlier. But I think it was really based on the discrepancies with the height that a lot of people just couldn't buy in. But with Rosen, it was the opposite; it was everything off the field. And so, but yeah, it wasn't even close when you when you put the tape on. It's not even close the reason why we had a delay and kind of skipped a week uh, we're planning on being back next week as well to be able to discuss a bit more around uh, with the nfl and the cardinals uh, appreciate you guys will continue to be writing uh, over the summer through revenge of the birds uh, following online for all of that you can check up on our past show content as well if you want 
Um, just by uh, liking and subscribing would be something. If you appreciate the content we'd have or like more of it, we would uh, absolutely love if you could do that. Uh, you can follow me at Blake Murphy Seven on Twitter if you've got any questions or just want to follow uh, along for, uh, you know, just some of the kind of the Cardinals are the biggest thing. At least I'll talk about for the most part there. Um, John, where can our listeners or even those who want to read your content find you as well? Absolutely. Hey, thanks again for joining us so much. Catch you guys on the other side. We get to talk about more Arizona Cardinals football.